Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm Joanna Trevor, and thank you to our listeners for being here with us this week and every week. So Trevor, before we get into today's episode, I just want to talk about the uh, the weather. I don't know, it's it's rainy here, which is not quite the best fall, uh, fall vibes, but... Yeah, this is kind of the, the worst, I call it the worst time of the year. Once the leaves fall off the trees... And, and you just get rain. So in between no leaves and, and the snow hasn't started yet, it's very dreary looking. So not, not my favorite time of year. I mean, I, I love the colors, but we've been, get, we've been getting nonstop rain. Have you guys out there, all our listeners? I mean, I'm sure some of the places in Canada are a little bit better right now, but I'll take the f- colors without the rain. I was watching a football game yesterday on TV, and there was a it was in Winnipeg, and, and it was it looked quite cold based on how everyone was dressed and watching the game live. So I, I, I got to think everyone's experiencing this this type of weather. Best part about Canada. <laughs> yep. So let's get into today's show. And today's show is completely inspired by a listener question from Mo. So thank you, Mo, for your question. We're going to read it. And if your listeners have any questions you would, would want an answer to, send them to us. We we love dedicating shows or pieces of shows to bringing you answers to questions that you have. Because again, this podcast is dedicated to you, the listener, and we're here because of you. So um, our email address is livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. Send your pressing questions to us and we'd love to listen to listen to them and read them and just talk about them. So I'll read Mo's question. Um, Mo's question is, hi, Courtney and Trevor. The times 25 rule seems to be quite simple to figure out what I need to retire or achieve financial independence. I've been tracking my expenses for the past year, but don't really want to use that figure in the equation just yet because I don't have enough data to average out to get a meaningful number. I would ideally like to have three to five years worth of data in the use and use the average. Would it be fair to use the minimum wage in the equation for now to at, le- at least figure out what th- what that number could be? Could there be any pitfalls to doing that other than the min- minimum wage may not necessarily reflect my current lifestyle? Thanks for your response in advance, Mo. So, Trevor, I, I absolutely love this question. And again, Mo, thank you for it. It's uh, it's such an important one, one that is worth discussing here on the podcast. So, Trevor, just to, just to lead it off, what is the Times 25 rule? So I'd also like to thank uh, Mo for this question because it is a fabulous question. Anything that deals with financial independence is near and dear to my heart. So to start with, the 25 times rule is based on a, a study that was done in 1998 in, at Trinity University, it's down in the United States. It's called the Trinity Study. And they looked at an investment portfolio made up of stocks and bonds. And in order for it to last 30 years, they, they studied how much could you take out of that investment. And it still lasts a 30 year, which is typical retirement is 30 year window that you need your money to last. And they used the sequence of returns, meaning they, they tried it from uh, various starting points and used market returns into factor, you know, would the portfolio last? And what they come up with is, is I think it was 95% or maybe it was 90, it might actually have been 80% of the time, the portfolio uh, would last 30 years at a 4% withdrawal rate. So the 25 times rule is, it's 25 times your expenses, which if you divide one into 25, you get 4%. So that's where the 4% and the 25 times your annual expenses to achieve financial independence. That That's kind of how you tie the 4% rule to the 25 times your 
annual expenses. So if, if you had 25 times your annual expenses saved up and you withdrew that once a year, you would, in essence, would be withdrawing 4%. So if, if we if we look at the twenty five times twenty five rule, is this a good kind of starting point to think about achieving financial independence, or is there another kind of starting place that you would recommend for Mo and for other listeners? Well, you know, there's transitions leading up to financial independence that would keep you motivated. There's so uh, another podcast I listen to is called Choose Fi, and Fi is for financial independence. It's a great podcast, very inspirational. And they had a guy in there, I, I can't remember his name, but he talked about the, the, the plateaus leading up to financial independence. And, and I, I would say the 25 times rule is sort of the, the, the finish line. So, so if that's your, that should be your goal, 25 times your annual expenses, I, I think it's a great target. So if, if we move on to kind of the second chunk of Mo's, um, Mo's question to us, he's been tracking his expenses for the past year, um, but it but doesn't want to use that f- figure in the equation just yet because he feels he doesn't have enough data to average it out to get a meaningful number. And, and I, would, I would say three to five years is, is, so three years is a great number. If you have three years worth of expenses, to use as averages to determine what your your annual expenses are. I, I think that's the sweet spot. Five years, actually anything, five years and beyond, I say it is probably too historic to be meaningful. And I'll give you an example. So I'm going to use utility expenses as my example. So when me and my wife first met, we had an apartment. And I, if I look at my utility bills there, they were whatever amount. It was a small apartment, so obviously we didn't use a lot of heat, and there was just two of us. We didn't use a lot of water, and but we lived there for about I don't know three years, and then we moved to our first house. Well, it was bigger; the utility bill was, you know, larger, and we we had our own washing machine at that point, so we used more water. We had a dishwasher, so the u- utility expense has changed, and we lived there for about five years, and. sorry, after about five years, we had children, we had twins. And we ended up, you know, having more heat in the house and more baths and more dishes to wash. So my my point I'm trying to make is, is five years, things tend to change or evolve. So if, if you're including expenses that are are five years or older, they tend to uh, distort your numbers rather than enhance them. So in my personal opinion, three years is probably the sweet spot. So you, you, you need at least three years of historical spending to get a meaningful average of, of what you could project into the future. But just bear in mind that that future is going to constantly be evolving. So he, he's right. He needs a little more history. He doesn't really say how much history he currently has, but I, I would target three years. And I, I like that he's... And the expenses to include for financial independence are are not your your luxury expenses. For me, it's just my bare bones, keep me off the street expenses. You know, roof over my head, food on the table, utility bills paid, you know, taxes paid. You know, the, the things that'll keep you out of jail and off the street. <laughs> Th- those are those are my financial independence expenses that that I'm trying to get 25 times saved up. I know a lot of people who be, may be entering the retirement period of their life do have do have a lot of dreams. So 
if if we are if we do bring saving for luxuries into the equation how do we account for that and make sure that we can can kind of live a very uh, get, live the retirement life we want to live without um living too much i guess well so to me that's a question separate from financial independence you know if you want to live in the lap of luxury you're obviously going to need more money but t- to say i'm financially independent would say i have enough passive income to cover my off the streets out of jail I'm, that's an exaggeration but off the street expenses that, to me that's financial independence to have enough money to live your your dream life i mean that's just going to you're going to have to stockpile a lot more money so that, that to me is a separate unrelated question kind of more along the lines of what are your priorities yeah if your priority is to be financially independent so you can you know, choose the type of work you want to do rather than search for a paycheck that, that covers your expenses. You know, that, that is a form of financial independence that, that a lot of people would, would love to have. So I, I think, again, enough passive income to, to meet your, your survival needs, to me, is financial independence. The third part of Mo's question is, he, he asks if it would be fair to use the minimum wage number in the equation for now to figure out what that kind of end number would, should or would be. So one thing I draw from that part of the question is it, it gives us a little glimpse into what his annual expenses probably are. And, and it sounds like he lives a pretty low-cost lifestyle. If, 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 if minimum wage is you know, somewhat going to cover or maybe completely cover his survival expenses, then uh, that, okay, assume you would be living paycheck paycheck to paycheck on minimum wage, then yeah, yeah, that that probably is a good guide. But I I would always caution using income as as a driver for how much money you need because I would hope nobody's, you know, spending all the money they earn that's never a, a good scenario and income you know are you talking gross income net income because there's taxes and deductions that always come off so i, I would caution from using uh, minimum wage and the i i just think you know it's not going to take like once you have a, a whole year's worth of expense history you know categorized you're going to quickly see that that that's not going to change much unless your life is you know changes from year to year dramatically most people's doesn't i think be you know be patient and, and get because once you see your expenses in their categorized you're in a position to uh, manipulate or adjust those and and see which ones are your your survival expenses so your minimum wage is probably covering or sorry your minimum wage your income is probably covering some luxury expenses. And, and if you use income as a driver of how much you need to save, I think you're going to be misled. And, and maybe you, you might be misled thinking you need more money than you actually do from a survival expense standpoint. So that kind of brings in Mo's last question is if there's any pitfalls to doing that, of, um, like uh, creating an equation that uh, accounts for the minimum wage right now. And he, and he does bring in the, the bit of the lifestyle aspect as well. You want to have some flexibility in, 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 by using expenses, you can, you could, you know, you could see what kind of levers you have to pull if you want to, you know, to achieve financial independence faster. So categorized expenses are going to be the, the, the best tool to gauge 
how much you need. So Trevor, what would your final answer to uh, most question be? Yeah, I would say I, I I can't imagine anyone's in a hurry, like unless you're right on the cusp of financial independence and you need to know today, I would be patient and just get some history of your, your expenses and, and, and see where that leads. If, if in fact you're spending every dollar you make and you are earning minimum wage or you think you could live off minimum wage, it's a guide, but you really need uh, a categorized expense history of at least three years to really be certain that you have enough saved up for, nine, for, for achieving financial independence. And I, I absolutely loved your answer to that, Trevor. And I, I think I, I think my favorite part is how you highlighted that the expense, how much you spend plays bigger a bigger role than how much uh, how much you make. So Mo, thanks for your question. I think it was a really good question. And I it, it, I'm sure some of our other listeners are struggling with, with a similar issue. All right, to uh, to get into the meat of the show today, um, as you might have guessed by this episode's title, Security versus Freedom, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. And again, it was inspired by most question. It really was because I think at the back of our minds, we all kind of have that lingering question, how much, how much? It's just this little little ramp inside your head that that it's your brain is asking yourself how much do i really need and trevor if you get if your brain asks you that question what is the answer well it's super important to have an answer because if you keep asking how much the and you don't have an answer the answer is always going to be more it's always going to be more and more is is very depressing i mean it, it there there's no end in sight so i think it's so important to know your number and and I congratulate Mo for wanting to know that number because if you don't have an answer, you're just going to keep chasing that that money train and, and never catching it. Uh, this this might be an an end of the que- end of the episode question, but I I just want to ask it up front so our, our listeners kind of know this in their head. But is there ever an actual answer? Like, can you mathematically get to that answer? You know, the, in my world, there isn't a definitive number. There is a a range there's because there's so so much uncertainty in terms of investment returns and and in what the future holds in terms of inflation and the economy so you're always working with a range a number range you know best case scenario worst case scenario but but once you have a range then you start to you know move away from more and you move toward a a number of some kind you know a, a high and low point and once you get to say the bottom of your range, you know, I need this much worst case, uh, best case scenario, and and I need even a bigger amount worst case scenario. Once you get to the the best case scenario, then you can assess your motivation to continue working, and 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 is it is the trade off worth the extra security? And we're gonna go into the word security and what it means, but uh, so I think having a number or a range is is so so important. I kind of want to talk about your situation for a minute. You, uh, to any of our listeners who may be just joining us, and maybe this is their first episode, Trevor is um, going to be semi-retiring or reaching financial independence at age 55. So it's a few years, right, Trevor? Yeah, three years. Three years. So just can you just paint a picture for us at what, I mean, you're semi-retiring. You've used that word over and over again, so you still will be working. But for you, I mean, I think I think the root of kind of the the fear that we get about wanting to know that number is that once we pull the retirement plug, we're kind of set in this 
in this place where if you have to go back to work, you you do it with your head hung low. So does the idea of semi-retiring and and just kind of knowing that you're not completely out of the workforce, but maybe doing something else, it, is that a more kind of comforting, reassuring feeling? Well, one thing, when you completely retire, I think, you know, you spend your whole life building up this conditioning to get up every morning and go to work. And that takes up more energy than people think. So once you stop working, my fear is I'll lose that conditioning and my ability to get up and have the discipline to go to work every day will 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 go away quickly. But what what I hope to do is... I want to separate the concept of work and money. I, I want to. I still want to be productive and contribute to society because at fifty-five, I think you should still, right? You're still able-bodied and working, and you can make a a contribution. But I want to do it. I want to work at things that bring me satisfaction and joy, not the corporation. And whether I get paid for it or not it will be irrelevant because I will have reached financial independence. So that that's sort of my path that I'm trying to carve out. So you're saying by the time that you reach fin- reach in 3 years that that point of financial independence, you will you will you already are kind of achieving that number and then the work that you do moving forward is again like you said just for your personal satisfaction. Yes, my survival expenses will be in the form of passive income. So anything I do earn will be just gravy. It's going to just be a bonus. And, and what I do with that, I, I may be charitable. Who knows what I'll do with it, but I, I won't need it to survive. So I, I do want to move into our topic today, but I, I have a few more follow-up questions in regards to that. So for you personally, how long have you and your wife been kind of creating this long-term plan about how much you'll need to retire with? Well, we've... We've always lived a, a frugal and, and financially responsible life. But w- when you have, you know, say three young kids and a mortgage and a car payment, I mean, it, financial independence seems like a, a distant dream and it's hard to stay motivated for it. So we just lived a financial responsible life. So it, it, it was always in the back of our minds. You know, we, we didn't really start to, you know, iron out a, a solid pan, plan. I would say... 20 it probably started 20 years ago they said hey you know this is a this is a possibility you know do do we want to you know entertain this and and the picture started to become clearer and clearer as time evolved and it became more and more of a real possibility that you know as we moved along the the cycle of life so it's been sort of in the back of our minds for i'll say 20 or 25 years we both wanted financial independence more than we wanted material possessions and in and, and, and luxurious lifestyle so it it hasn't been a huge transition or adjustment for us to when we when we're this close to 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 think that it's real I really like that because I mean so 20 years ago and you and your wife had sat in your mind that the, this goal you wanted to achieve and that the goal of reaching financial independence at I'd say relatively um relatively a good age is is something that you can really set your eyes on and, and mind on and and really and something that can really kind of motivate you and get you excited to and, and guide your decisions that you make in an everyday everyday manner such as as if will you buy this or would you will you spend money in this or will you save it so I really do like that and I think that's a good takeaway for our listeners to 
to really set their minds on this long-term goal, such as financial independence, which looks very appealing and, and, and aim for that and make your life decisions accordingly. Because I mean, I'm sure you can admit this, Trevor, it is hard. I'm sure hard to say no to maybe that vacation that your coworkers or family or friends are wanting to go on just because you're saving for, for something. So when it's something this clear, I think it makes every decision that much easier to make. Yeah, it does. And you know, when I look back, it's kind of like when you're working and you need to work to to finance your lifestyle, you've kind of handed control over to somebody else. You know, you've given control to the corporation and said, you know, you guys can tell me whatever it is I need to do and when I need to do it, and I'll do it. And when you reach some level of financial independence, the control moves back to you. Now, I mean, if you're unreasonable, you'll still be out of work, but you you can kind of you can kind of be selective in the work that you you take on or are willing to take on or sometimes just knowing that you know this is optional is very comforting so Trevor to actually get into the article that we've decided to talk about today because it is incredible it's uh it's by Philip Brewer it is from wisebread.com we have featured things from wisebread.com um in the past incredible website we'll have it in the show notes um but this article is entitled security is an illusion freedom is real and we really liked the concept that security security being an illusion because in our mind not, secu- security the whole word of security is that of safety and and something that is sure but we're going to find out through this article that it is security is really the opposite of of that yeah it it's security is a is a misnomer because it it what we're going to learn in this article is it's an illusion it really it, it, it isn't what you think it is so to, this article really leads off with a discussion around how your job is and, and and the income it provides is really just an illusion. There's no actual security there. You know, I remember listening to a a podcast and it was about entrepreneurs and there's there a, a guy was he was having a conversation with a friend of his and he was saying, you know, don't you find it you know real risky being an entrepreneur? Like don't don't you wonder you know how you're going to provide your for your family like you're you're at such risk you're at the mercy of your clients and the entrepreneur said to the guy who was traditionally employed said you know i have 10 customers and if i lose one customer i lose one tenth of my income and then i can always go out and find another customer to replace that one if you lose your job you lose 100 percent of your income and, and you're so the the traditional employee all their eggs are in one basket the entrepreneur and the other the other risk is the entrepreneur can see when business is softening and, and, and maybe, you know, he has to tighten his, 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 his belt on, on his expenses. Whereas the traditional employee, a lot of times you don't have the visibility of the business softening and you could potentially be laid off it. A lot of people are blindsided by that. So traditional employment is anything but security. It, and I mean, the article goes on to, to talk about kind of looking around at the things in our life that we view as security. So, I mean, we talk about all the time how having a, a home, uh, a roof above your head and is something that brings us security and something that we can count on. But I mean, Philip Brewer in his article talks about how that can all to be taken away by natural disaster, by fire, by, by the government taking away your home. So 
is it really a sense of security? Well, I think it's, you know, I think of a home as security. The, the, the only security it offers is, you know, you know, you lock the doors. I mean, people can still break the windows and stuff. So how it really secures your home. I, you know, I often think about, I go camping in a tent. So when I, when I'm in my, uh, in my house, in a neighborhood I've lived in for over 20 years, I know my neighbors and everything. I lock my door at night, you know, make sure all the windows are locked and I go to bed and feel secure. I go camping in some strange place, you know, maybe a different country or a different province. And I'm, I'm, I'm protected by nylon walls and a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> and I sleep just as soundly, which is really odd, you know. So it's, it's like, you know, do we really need that security? You know, and I'm surrounded by other campers who I have no idea who they are, you know, where they come from, what their background is. And again, I'm just protected by a zipper and some nylon. <laughs> So I, I wonder maybe, why. Maybe a tarp if it's raining. Yeah. And I wonder why do I lock my doors at home? You know, do I, I and it seems, it, it seems so strange, you know, that the concept that we, we're, we're just programmed to, to do that, right? And we're programmed to believe that we're safe. But in a moment, you know, we can go camping and decide we're still safe. So I, I think a lot of times we, we seek more security than we actually need. I, I absolutely love that example. And, and, and when you say we sometimes seek more security than we actually need, I mean, I, I think, I, I, what about, I guess, your thoughts on maybe different types of insurances? Is that a security that is, is very legitimate? Or is that sometimes, can we ever seek more security than we need? So uh, a good form of insurance that everyone would be familiar with is employment insurance that you pay to the government. And a lot of people, you know, at the back of their minds, they, that, that's security in case they lose their job. Well, I, I've never tried to collect unemployment insurance, but I know people that have, and it's incredibly hard to get. I mean, and so a lot of insurance, you think you're protected, but when you go to collect, you have to, you know, it's almost like you're guilty until proven innocent. You have to prove you need, you know, you actually suffered hardship and, and you get, you deserve this money. So Insurance is, is a very expensive illusion. I, I, I've made, I can count the claims I've made on any kind of insurance on one hand, and it, it's never gone, you know, seamlessly. I, I've always had to claw, fight and claw tooth and nail to, to get what, what I think I deserve. And I, I always feel like I, I never did get really what I deserve. So it, 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 it's an expensive illusion. And security in general is just an expensive illusion. I mean, it, to get true security, you almost yeah you almost need twice as much money as you really need to really have security. Like it's it's a it's a a complete one hundred percent backup plan. You know, if this plan fails, I have another plan with just you know just as much resources to to come in. And it'd be like Google having all these servers that everyone uses Google Gmail and Google Drive. They have redundancy on top of redundancy on top of redundancy. That's real insurance. You know, no, I, I'm yet to find somebody who's, who's lost data on a Google server. And, but that comes at a huge cost. I mean, they, the, the redundancy in their infrastructure must be, you know, mind-boggling. Uh, take this back to our, our camping and tent example. Do you think, so uh, we, obviously we, we know how much security a tent provides, but do you think a trailer 
uh, like a camper trailer that with a door that locks would you feel any i mean you obviously sleep in a tent when you go camping but uh, take away the maybe more luxurious feel that that a rv provides is that i mean we can deem that safer <laughs> so i got a story for uh, a, a camping trailer i was i had a camper one time i went camping i had, I had three young ch- three young children and we're in a camper and i locked the door and I, I locked it and it had like two locks. So I, I locked it twice, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I go to bed. I wake up in the morning. I, I'm in the middle of the night and I'm just, you know, mosquito bites all over me. And I'm just, <laughs> I've never been so itchy. And, and I look up and the door's open. And I thought, I locked that door. And it, it turned out that, you know, the trailer wasn't perfectly level and, and the door popped open when, when some wind caught it and, so even even when you think you you're secure, even when you think you're 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 all locked down, uh, something can malfunction, something can fail you, you know. So it's almost so. What I end up doing is I end up tying a rope to that door, and into and, and, and to, to a, a a cabinet inside the trailer, and I end up tripping over that rope later in the in the in the middle of the night. So security. It, you need so much redundancy to really truly have security that most people just can't afford that redundancy. So I, I try your example so far have been amazing. Um, and I want to move on um, in this article. Phil Brewer continues kind of talking about, and this is the point that I really like in this article because he talks about how we sometimes make conventional choices in order to fit in. And I like to use the air quotes around fitting in because I truly, I truly think that, I mean, take the entrepreneurship example, Some, it, com, there's conventional employment and then entrepreneurial um, employment and entrepreneurial employment maybe is a little bit more alternative than conventional employment working for someone. So there is this kind of construct around wanting to, if, if everyone's doing it, it must be safe and secure. Yeah, that that's a pitfall for sure in our society. I mean, Everybody invests in uh, equities, you know, the stock market, and in, in thinking it's a, a a solid, and historically it has been a solid place to put your money. I mean, the Trinity study and the four percent rule and the twenty five time, that whole thing says you know over over time it, it it's it's safe. But you know, the depression happened. You know, the the stock market crash of nineteen twenty nine. I mean, the, those people had an illusion that, you know, if I put my money here, I, I, I'll just make money. History could repeat itself. I mean, that just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it safe. In fact, a lot of times, uh, you know, what everybody's doing, like, so for instance, the iPhone, I'm yet to see uh, viruses attacking the iPhone and everyone's using it. So once the masses start to go to something, that's when the, uh, the that becomes the target for uh, criminal behavior or, 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 or hackers, you know, they're going to go to where all the masses are. So a lot of times if you follow the general population, you, you just might follow them off the edge of a cliff. Has there ever been a time like in your life when, with the decision that you've made that have, you've gone against the grain and maybe wondered if you made the right decision or, or even seen someone else maybe make that and, and commend them on going against the grain, but, but wonder, but wonder about maybe the consequences. Well, I know a lot of people I work with, you know, they, when I say I'm retiring at 55, they say, are, are you crazy? Think of the money you're leaving on the table. You know, think of the money you're leaving behind. 
And the conventional wisdom would say, you should work till you're 65. And, and I have assured my employer, I, I, I am leaving at 55 in, in no uncertain terms. You know, I, I, at that point, again, I separate money from work. And this isn't the kind of work I want to do. And the money is irrelevant at that point. So I, I, I would say I'm going against the grain already in the minds of my, my coworkers and the people I work with. They, they, you know, they, they, this one coworker keeps reminding me of the money you're leaving on the table is, is a lot of money. And I, I'm saying I don't care. It's not important to me. Because, because more than anything, we as a society equate security to having money. I say this to people all the time. I'm yet to find the person that says, I wish I would have worked another 10 years. You know, that person does not exist. I, I, I can't find them. And anyone who's retired, I ask them all the time, you know, what would you do different? And they're yet to say, I would have worked another five or 10 years. You know, I was crazy to quit when I did, regardless of when they retired. I'm yet to find that person. The in right below um, the point I just read before, it's uh, Philip Brewer says that quote the that provides merely the security of knowing that if things go badly, you'll still have plenty of company in your misery. So he really just talks about how fitting in again. I just like almost like the stark stark market crash. Everyone was kind of unfortunately in it together, but. And that's it's, it goes back to your jumping off the cliff uh, scenario. If, if if everyone's kind of engaging in that, then everyone else will unfortunately be in your misery as well. Yeah. The, it, following the masses is, you know, it's, it's obviously a big risk. If, if, if everybody's, you know, investing in A and you invest in B and B fails, I, I mean, the, 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 the downside of not following the masses is you'll see where you went wrong. You know, it'll be staring you in the face in a big way. So by following the masses, you tend to uh, eliminate the amount of regret you're going to have. You know, and that's that's the, the the security in following the masses is is you're not going to you're not going to have the your mistakes thrown in your face like if you went against society. So. But- for instance, if, if I retire early and I end up, you know, starving on the street, I'm going to see all the people that work till another 10 years and they're not, you know, the, the opposite. You're, you're really not going to see much of, you know, the downside of, of, of following the masses. It's not going to be staring you in the face. And, and to your point there where if, I mean, all those people who worked that 10 years later, so maybe the mass majority of society and they all end up starving on the streets. They all look around and be like, "Ah, oh, this this is how it is. Like this is how, this is how it is. This is how it goes." So, and I also want to add to that. I think, I think when we start not questioning the norms and we start going with what society is ingrained within us, we're not progressing forward. We're we're kind of turning our brains off and and following a habit and and the and going down the well worn roads when when that people could just be doing that out of fear of, of paving their own path. Yeah. And paving a, a path that goes right off the edge of a, a cliff again, like nobody, it, it's called taking a chance or, or taking a risk, you know, in, in the hopes that there's a reward f- for that risk. And and sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. And while we are talking about security, I mean, people maybe only go down those well-worn paths because it feels more secure than the path unknown. But at the end of the day, what even is security? I mean, security could be the inside of your tent or the inside of your home. And both are on the very um, opposite end of the 
a quote unquote security continuum. Like if you think of security versus freedom, and that's what this article is about. So security is having having a, a stream of income, be it from traditional employment or uh, an investment that's paying paying out a dividend or something that covers your expenses. You know, that's that's security in in my mind. And security, it, you, if, you, if you go from traditional appointment to passive income, you're just trading one set of worries for another. So your security, that, that your traditional employment covers your expenses, you're constantly worrying about, you know, what if I lose my job? What if, you know, my company closes? What if I can't find another job? So security comes with worry. Now, if you're retired and you're living off of investments, that security, you know, what if the market tanks? What if my investments don't perform like they're going to? So you've just traded employment worries for investment worries. At the end of the day, security comes with worries and concerns. You know, that that's the downside of chasing security is you're always, you're at the mercy of something in exchange for security or the illusion of security. And, and a lot of people will try to fight security with, you know, saving up twice as much money as they need to retire on just in case the market doesn't perform. Or they will, you know, uh, have two incomes, you know, a, a husband and a wife income just in case one of them loses their job. So people that, that need additional, additional security will go to great lengths to double that stream of income just in case. Well, that's an expensive, uh, that's a, an expensive source of security Everyone's got different tolerances, but it's still super expensive. Because it's security, as Philip Brewer says, is something that comes from inside of you. That kind of really makes us think about what security is and how that equates to freedom. So Philip Brewer describes security as kind of the diversity of skills that you have inside of you, where if, if, if one thing doesn't turn out, you can turn to something else and utilize a different set of skills. And and he, and he says that real security comes from expanding your range of options. And then those options are what equals freedom. You know, that's a fabulous point. If I think of uh, a lot of, so I've never been in a union, but I, I've always worked in, I've often worked where there are unions employed. And those unions are based on seniority. And they consider that their security. You know, the longer I've worked there, the more security I have in that if there's a layoff, I'm going to be one of the last people to go. And they call that their their security. And in practice, it works. For me, my security is my skill set, my marketability, my, my ability to, you know, be in demand for employment. That's been my security all along. I don't want to rely. So as long as you're in favor with that union and you have seniority, you're safe. And, but for me, I want to stand on my own two feet. I don't want to have to have somebody prop me up and say, you know, you can't touch this guy. He's, he's been here 25 years. I want to be indispensable. There's a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin. And it's about how to be a, uh, so a linchpin is something that is, you know, the, the key, the key to the whole operation. And in that book, he, everyone should strive to be a linchpin, to be, to be a indispensable and that is your security in employment traditional employment is to be indispensable to be that problem solver to be that go-to person that person you can count on that takes a lot of effort 
no question. But in exchange for that effort, you get true, you know, as far as employment goes, you get real security. And if that company, you know, fails, closes, uh, or business is so bad, they have to let you go. You are so marketable. You have so much to offer the workforce that, that you, you end up feeling. And the more times you test that, the more times you, you go find another job and succeed, the, the more you have an internal feeling of security. So being that linchpin, and that's a great book, by the way, I, I highly recommend it. That is, to me, employment security at its, at its optimum. Trevor, can you give uh, our listeners maybe an example of you, what your indispensable, indispensable quality is within your workplace? Well, without getting into uh, too much detail, so, so my specialty is data mining, you know, finding that, uh, a data source, validating it and, and, you know, summarizing it and presenting it. But w- the key to being a linchpin in your workplace is to, when you get a start a new job, figure out what everyone is struggling with. And there's usually a common theme, you know, in, in any given job, everyone's struggling with, with something. And so this, this particular place I work, everyone was struggling with, with data, you know, getting data, validating data, uh, basing decisions on data. You know, they, a lot of, there was a lot of speculation and guessing going on and, and, and you know, talk of, you know, minimizing risk and, you know, this could be right. This might be right. It's been right in the past, but data it becomes factual, you know. So I, I sought out to become the data expert, and and I was tired of of making decisions on speculation and being wrong, you know. So that that became my the the skill I brought to that particular job, and it, it turned out to be a, a good one. But every job, some some places struggle with creativity, you know. The, they're missing that creative person, that that person who, who's maybe has a creative vision, and and everything they do just looks fabulous. So it it could, it could be that, but it, you need to find out what that what what's missing. And it's, everywhere I've worked, there's always been that that one thing that everyone struggles with. And if you can bring that, you become a linchpin. Continuing on, and and kind of the last thought within Philip Brewer's article here is how, and he brings up a great point, how you to, you could work to cover, he says, three months expenses or even six months expenses, which is even better than th- covering three months of your expenses. But he says that adding enough, adding enough cash that you could cover 12 months expenses doesn't nearly add as much security as some other choices you could make. So he calls, he refers to this as kind of um, diminishing returns. So by the time you have 12 months of expenses, he says that that could equate to something else, such as cutting your expenses. So this is, you know, so this is freedom. So if, if security is an expensive illusion, then everyone should be chasing freedom, in my opinion. You know, give up on security. Because it's not real, and and if you do get it, it, the cost is is way too much. Seek out freedom, and freedom is is the ability to have a a low cost lifestyle. And then I'm saying you have to live a low cost lifestyle your whole life, but be willing or able to ramp down your lifestyle. So, and here's the perfect example, and it kind of leads back to Mo's question: Be if you could ramp down your lifestyle to live on minimum wage. If the need arose, so I'm not saying, you know, live a lifestyle of, of minimum wage 
you know, all the time, but you know, have a, have such a handle on your expenses that if the need arose, you could go out and get a minimum wage job and be able to cover all your survival expenses until you could find a, a better paying job. So to me, that is freedom. So in this country, Canada, minimum wage is going to be going up to 50, it's just, I think it's in January, it's going to 14, uh, in 2019, it's going to $15 an hour. So if you could, if you could always go out and get a minimum wage job doing whatever, and that would cover your survival expenses, to me, you are pretty close to freedom. You know, nobody has you over a barrel. Nobody's going to be able to manipulate and control you or, or pull the carpet out from under you and say, you know, we don't need your services anymore. If you could ramp down your lifestyle at a moment's notice, or, you know, I say a moment's notice, within a pretty short window of time to say, hey, I could live off minimum wage, or if there's like a, a couple, uh, two partners, between the two of you, you, you could live off minimum wage. You know, that's your, your disaster plan. If you could do that, and that's called financial flexibility. To me, you would have a, a piece of freedom. Because freedom is freedom can be freedom from stress, freedom from worry. And and I think a lot of our collective stress and worry comes from what if we lose our job? And and knowing, like you said, Trevor, that you can make things work off of minimum wage. I mean, there are a plethora of minimum wage jobs out there. So knowing that you could keep surviving because your expenses will allow for that or be able to have this, I guess, uh, almost like a backup apocalypse plan where you pull out all the stops when something bad happens. You know, to your point, uh, the, the stress of the job, it's, it's rarely the stress of the job that's, that, that stresses people out. It's the stress of losing the job. That, that's, the, that's usually the source of the stress. So if you make a mistake at work and, and something goes horribly wrong, you feel bad but the stress is, you know, if I get fired from this job, you know, what are the consequences? And, and if you could free yourself from that, you know, obviously you don't want that to happen. But if it were to happen and you, you know, you could go out and get a minimum wage job and cover your survival expenses, then maybe you, you, you work your, your job in a different mindset. Maybe you're, you take more risks, more chances and in doing that, you become a linchpin, you know, because you have this backup plan, this freedom plan that if, if I, you know, take this chance and become this data mining expert and I end up getting bad data, <laughs> could happen. Um, and just say you lose your job, you could go into disaster plan, minimum wage job, covers my survival expenses until I get back on my feet with, with a better paying job. So I think, Chasing freedom. And so let's move into retirement. So you want Wait, security? I, I just I just want to stop and ask a skeptical listener question just while I have the moment there. Um, well, I completely believe in ramping down your lifestyle to a minimum wage earners at, at a moment's notice. To be the skeptical listener, what if I have this inflated lifestyle currently? I mean, I've made decisions in the past which have led me to the position I am in right now. How do I, how do I begin to take on, take on the actual position that I'd be okay if, if, if I did have to take on minimum wage job? Well, the, the key is to not be tied into long-term financial obligations. You know, that, that's, that's the, the ticket, right? So, you know, and, and not 
already living below your means is a starting point, right? So living below your means and then not being tied to eight-year car loans and 30-year mortgages. You know, those kind of things are, are the things that are going to uh, create it. So let's just say you have a 15-year mortgage. We did a show on that. And you, you lose your job. You're down a minimum wage job. Maybe you can go to the bank and negotiate, you know, your mortgage and, and spread it out to 25 years, you know, because y- you've, you've moved into the d- disaster plan. And, and let's just say you have a, you don't have an eight-year car loan. Like you paid cash for your car. You don't have that boat anchored pulling you down. So it's, it's all about structuring your life in such a way that it's, it's low cost. So let's just say you, are, you do have a high-paying job and you have this low-cost lifestyle and you, love, you do a lot of traveling. So that's something you could ramp down if, if you lost your job and you have to get a minimum wage job. Obviously, you're not going to travel anymore. So you, your, 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 you know, your property taxes, your utilities, your mortgage payment if you have one, you can flex as disaster arises. So it's, that to me is the key. And I guess my listener, my skeptical listener question really came from the point that I truly believe that if if you are in a position where you have acquired debt and accumulated, um, acquired and accumulated debt over the years, that it, it, even it, this could be kind of the motivation for you to kind of eliminate that debt and get yourself to a better financial place and that your short-term goal, which doesn't look as far away as financial independence, but your short-term goal could be to get yourself to a place where you could survive off minimum wage if needed. And I think it's twofold in that you are all are eliminating your debt load, you are deflating your life, and you're also getting to your pla- a place where you will experience naturally less stress. Yeah, and uh, I, I th- if that motivates you to do all those things, if that is the sole you should do those things anyway. But I mean, if, if being in a, a low, you know, a, a place where financial freedom is just around the corner, if needed, if that motivates you to do those things, all the better. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I'm just coming from the place where, I mean, if you're already living a ramped up lifestyle, it, it, you there, there might not be a motivational factor to want to decrease that. So, so, but maybe you are naturally stressed at work. So kind of combine those two together and that could be your solution. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I just want to touch on the retirement. Uh, so we talked about working, you know, and then you could go to a minimum wage job. Well, if if you have this real high-end lifestyle and you're trying to retire, and just say you are able to retire with this very high-end lifestyle, it requires a lot of income, you are still at the mercy of market returns. So so you st- you're still working with security, not freedom. And you need all those market returns to survive on you could ramp down a, a part of your lifestyle and, and trade some of that security for freedom in, in that your your passive income at, at very poor market returns would still finance your lifestyle. So it, it, it's it's relevant in the working life and in the retirement life as well. No, and that's that's an excellent point. So Trevor, I think that brings us the end of our episode on security versus freedom. And again, this incredible article from Fuller Brewer really supported this episode. And all these concepts I feel really related back to Mo's original question as well, which is which is why again we decided to kind of combine Mo's question with this topic because they fit really nicely together. 
And to end, I would like to include a final quote from Philip Brewer, really. So thank you so much for joining us this week on our episode of Security vs. Freedom. We really hope you derived value from it. Make sure to send us your questions so we can feature them here on the podcast and give you answers. Until next week, keep it simple. Simple.